the best cure is, is definitely prevention. And I tell the story that I, uh, you know, got from my White House days of, you know, there's two two providers and a bunch of patients are downstream in the river and they're, you know, they're pulling them out and one of them runs up and, and the other doctor says, where are you going? And he says, I'm going up to tell them to stop jumping into the, <laughs> you know, into the waterfall in the first place. Hi, I'm Dr. Daniel Kraft. Welcome to Healthy Conversations. Today, we're fortunate to be in Healthy Conversations with Dr. Pat Basu. He is the president and CEO of Cancer Treatment Centers of America. You've broached many fields from telemedicine now to the cancer world. And when I was going to medical student, no one got an MBA. And when you maybe speak to, let's say, MD, MBA students of today, how do you help them understand you know, the potentials a physician after medical school can do? I do sometimes joke that I'm, I'm certainly still trying to figure out what I want to be <laughs> when I grow up in the sense of, uh, you know, medicine and business and policy. But I do tell them to not be afraid to be interdisciplinary, to really expand their horizons and, and cross different paths. If you want to solve grand challenges, they're not just in biology, they're not just in chemistry, they're not just in physiology. They are they're taking disciplines and putting them together. You kind of have to maybe invent your own space and, and probably deal with a little bit more of a skewed look from a attending physician who would say, wait a second, why are you going to work at the White House, <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm really curious about, you had this amazing opportunity to be a, a White House fellow and senior advisor. Absolutely, a ton of takeaways. And just the concept of the American dream is one that, you know, as, as a son of immigrants, you know, burns very passionately in me the country being at a crossroads. I think there's a lot of danger in misinformation, disinformation, sort of the war on facts and data and science is one of the greatest concerns. I think the role of physicians has really broadened. At the White House, there was a training session and it was a bunch of us preparing for a national emergency. This particular case happened to be a pandemic and and within reason, I think a bunch of us looked at it and sort of said, well, it's probably not as likely as, you know, the, the hurricane or the military conflict or the, the things like that. But we obviously, we took it very, very seriously. We planned through that. And sadly, that came to clear fruition, you know, 10 years ago. And the reason I mentioned that is when I worked at the White House, I think I was one of maybe a couple of doctors, you know, that were there. I just am a big advocate that doctors should be involved and frankly that places like the White House and the US government should look to bring doctors in. Speaking of, you know, the changes around COVID, since it's been such a up and to the right element, telehealth and you were intimately involved in, in doctors on demand. Can you share a little bit of that experience? It's just been great for me, not just personally to see, you know, my baby doctor on demand uh, make such a big impact and grow and go from hundreds of thousands of visits to millions and the impact that, that causes. I think it was Victor Hugo who said that, you know, even the greatest army can't stop an idea whose time has arrived. And it just makes sense. It makes sense for patients. It makes sense for providers. It makes sense for the American healthcare system. Digital medicine is going to continue to change healthcare. And I think virtual telehealth visits are just at the beginning. Uh, part of the challenge often is enabling the clinicians of today who may have graduated medical school 10, 20, 40 years ago in some cases to keep up with some of these emerging platforms, whether it's telemedicine or digiceutical. No one's really wedded to the fax machine, but we may be wedded to old processes and old mindsets. So how do you see the current medical culture today? How is it evolving? 
With respect to physician cultures and maybe barriers to some tech innovations, there's a little bit of a, I'm going to call it a good, a bad, and an ugly maybe. So I think the good is there's sometimes a, hey, listen, before we innovate too fast, I want to make sure that this is safe for my patients, which is wonderful. It always needs to be kind of the, the Hippocratic Oath, right? I think the bad in, in physician barriers to innovation is um, is just some of the experiences. You look at EHR or the EMR, as you know, Daniel, is, is the only kind of sector that in the last 30 years has had decreased productivity, right? You look at the EMR and a lot of physicians are, are kind of scarred by that, right? Hey, this was supposed to make life more efficient and now it's actually you know made, in many cases, life worse. And oftentimes people have thought about the user experience of the consumer while not thinking about the user experience of the physician. And then of course there's an ugly. These are some states that had really bad access to healthcare, really poor access to quality healthcare, and that fiefdom could be interrupted or competed against was concerning to them. There's also a consumer behavior change. If you told most people that when they're in flight that the computer, the autopilot is doing a lot of that work, it would probably freak them out, right? But patients sometimes, they don't realize that, wait, how are you gonna take these vital signs? So there's an education in the consumer side that also needs to occur. And that can sometimes be as important to accelerating good innovation as the physician side. And so I imagine that might be influencing, you know, your experience uh, now leading Cancer Treatment Centers of America where in cancer, and I'm a pediatric oncologist by training, there's a ton of data. In fact, Daniel, the reason I took this job, as, as you and I have discussed, is you know, I'm a big believer in building a better America, a better American healthcare system, and in many ways, cancer is the tip of the spear of, of all of those things. It, it represents the best of American healthcare in its innovation, in its experimentation, and it's pushing the frontier, we should say. But at the same time, American healthcare is fragmented, it's expensive, it's hard for the consumer to understand. And if you think about the aspects of telehealth, in Dr. On Demand's initial forays into urgent care and behavioral medicine, you're not going to, in the year 2021, replace that infusion, that chemotherapy, that immunotherapy, that radiation therapy is needed, that surgery is needed but it forms as a wonderful bridge to care. In our case, where we see patients from all over the country, it can allow us to stay in good touch and, and, and care manage those patients. You know, our founder's mother uh, sadly passed uh, from cancer and he built this company on the very notion that, you know, of patient empowerment and that, uh, you know, patients have a voice. One of the, the things I love about Cancer Treatment Centers of America is we, we treat the patient holistically. So there is, you know, nutrition with dietitians and behavioral therapy in addition to medical, surgical, radiation therapy. A lot of those things can be packaged virtually, but I, I wouldn't be myself if I didn't talk about areas for improvement. You know, when I arrived here, we were, you know, majority out of network. You can't have a great outcome or a great solution if, if people can't access it. And we're now essentially all in network and, and even working towards value-based care. I'm probably asked every couple of weeks, you know, where should I send this patient with X form of malignancy? Is there some power to your scale and the data and sort of the, the shared learning that is within CTCA? And, and maybe are you able to start to bridge that to other academic and community oncologists? 
Definitely, definitely. We're sort of an escalation pathway. We know we can't be the best at everything. So can we partner with community hospitals? Can we partner with physician groups to make cancer care better for all patients, whether they come through our walls or not? That starts with several things. I once had a patient tell me, Daniel, I fought the cancer so hard that finally the cancer gave up before I did, right? And I thought about that and I said, geez, what a powerful statement. And I realized that sometimes it's just with some of the side effects, you need to keep that patient's mind engaged and their family's minds engaged. And that's where things that we might do that that others might have frowned at, like, you know, helping them pick out their wig to, you know, a sexual side effect counselor. We're helping other providers with those things. Our goal is to eliminate cancer from the face of the earth for sure. Definitely to try and get a solution that might otherwise be discovered by ourselves in 2030 is not good enough. If somebody else can help us get there in 2021 or 2022, then we want to partner with them. Yeah, 100%. And speaking of trying to make, you know, cancer history, part of that is, you know, detecting, remember when preventing it, but also picking it up early. I always like to call it, you know, stage zero. Just a, a side point back to the pandemic, it really put a dent on standard screenings, uh, colonoscopies, mammograms. Yeah, you're spot on. The best cure is, is definitely prevention. I tell the story that I got from my White House days of, you know, there's two providers and a bunch of patients are downstream in the river and they're pulling them out and one of them runs up and, and the other doctor says, where are you going? He says, I'm going up to tell them to stop jumping into the, <laughs> you know, into the waterfall in the first place. I'd say 30 years ago, if you ask people, you know, can you prevent heart disease? Not many people might have raised their hands. You ask people now and they say there's all sorts of things. You, you know, there's statistics that show 50% of cancers are potentially preventable through, you know, lifestyle modifications, number one. Number two, absolutely, with screening and early detection, for every cancer type, as you know, better outcomes and frankly, to the patient, to the system, far lower cost of, of treatment if you catch something earlier. As it is, we as a society were missing the mark. The pandemic made that worse. It made the health disparities worse. There were times, Daniel, during the pandemic where 80, 90% of mammograms, colonoscopies, pap smears were being missed. And there were estimates that showed that tens of thousands of cancer diagnoses were likely missed or delayed you know, during the pandemic. You know, patients want to do the right thing, but how do you, using design thinking, make it so seamless and so easy that you take away all friction? And particularly for health disparities. Black men with the propensity for lung cancer you know, are disproportionately not getting their screening imaging across the board for you know breast cancer for black and brown women there are uh, major disparities in healthcare in rural america and again this is not a just a racial thing in white rural america there are patients who are not getting appropriate access to screening and proper care that needs to be our mission it is definitely one of our missions at, at cancer treatment centers of america what's most exciting and where where do you see let's say the next decade going in, in oncology care I think precision medicine is just incredibly exciting. Just the idea that patients might respond differently with an almost infinite permutation of factors in their genetic condition, in the genomics of the, of the tumor, um, in the way that they respond to various medications. When we were studying cancer types, there might've been 15 different cancer types, but now there's 15,000 right? And now you're treating a specific mutation. 
And it's a huge area where we partner with phenomenal companies around the country to really just find for a specific patient. I really think that five to seven years from now, every patient is going to come in, have a personalized profile that truly optimizes, even if it's one or two percentage points, the best regimen for them versus you know somebody else. Yeah, I mean, it's still often one size fits all. It's lung cancer, yeah. it's a yeah. lymphoma, you get the standard shop chemotherapy, but the future is this multi-omics from the, the changing genome of, of the cancer or its subtypes or the cancer stem cells to the microbiome of the patient to uh, all the other you know metabolic markers, I think, uh, to be able to synthesize that and, and drive targeted therapy, as you mentioned, which may be half a million dollars in today's world that, again, can't scale to thousands or millions of patients. So hopefully these things will come down like the price of, of cell phones and other technologies, but they probably won't ever get fully digitized. I think about it a lot. What telehealth did to traditional medicine is expanded the barriers of space and time, right? You weren't just getting care in this county in Mississippi on this particular day, you now had access to doctors all over all the time, right? Insurance is bounded at a finite geographic level, oftentimes still, even with the exchanges, oftentimes tied to an employer, usually measured in kind of one year horizons. So if you are a quote unquote risk bearing entity, whether that is a state government, a federal government, a private insurer, or a at risk provider, one of the things that stops you from making long-term investments is you're afraid of churn at a year, right? And you and I know even in oncology, boy, your return on that investment, meaning literally saving a life, might not actually occur in that, in that calendar year. If that covered life, so to speak, switches in that time, then it, it forces those risk-bearing entities oftentimes to have perverse incentives, right? So we need to change that. We need to be able to say, you know, somebody is truly covered for, you know, an extended period of time where where that curve can catch up. But ultimately, we really have to figure this out because oncology is amongst the, well, it's the number one cause of the medical areas of causing, you know, medical bankruptcy, you know, a top three cause of, of medical spend. To me, the simple equation is, are you getting healthcare return on that investment? But it's one that needs to be addressed especially in the era of precision medicine where you just cannot finance one size fits all. Right, and sometimes you get what you measure or you incentivize, you might be measuring just tumor size or months of life. Yeah. That may not be the actual quality measure that's important to the patient or the caregiver or the payer. So in terms of that adoption, um, how do you incentivize better adoption within your own organization or, or more broadly in healthcare, whether it's telemedicine or a, a digital therapeutic or a mental health platform or a, a new immunotherapy? Great question. I learned a ton in my time in, in the Bay Area and Silicon Valley and building Dr. Man on the notion of you know user experience and user interface. For a doctor on an EMR, it feels like it takes them 10 minutes just to figure out you know, how they change the order set, right? So really focusing on physician user experience, on physician user interface, I think is is just has been a it's not even a lost art, it's just been a, a non-existent art. I know our doctors and certainly most doctors who go into medicine are in it for better patient care. So when we're able to truly show that this actually makes things better for the patient, then you know physicians are able to say, oh, okay, this is something I really want to accelerate or champion. It often seems to be about you know lowering the barriers. I always say it's cancer care is, is a disease as much of the body as it is of the mind and a definition of a team sport where all those team members are, are so critical. 
maybe I'll end where I began. I think less than 5% of CEOs uh, were physicians, less than 5% of healthcare entrepreneurs were physicians, less than 5% of Congress were physicians, and having doctors involved with anything from the user experience to the economics to the tech innovation side is just a way to, to make the, the world a better place. And frankly, to find great professional fulfillment at a time when I think physician satisfaction has gone down. And uh, I would just encourage all your listeners to you know, keep up the good fight and I'm optimistic about it. Thank you so much, Pat, for joining us on Healthy Conversations and uh, keep up the amazing work at Cancer Treatment Centers of America. And for you know anybody listening, you know the opportunity, no matter what realm of uh, provider care or healthcare you're in, we all can see you know challenges and opportunities and can help solve them collaboratively. So we'll see you next time.